We were in Guatemala, in Antigua, and um, we were doing a missionary retreat. And in those days, we used to take turns doing the, uh, doing the teachings. And I can't ever remember what the teaching was about, but I remember we had a bunch of missionaries from different parts of Central and South America, but also several missionaries were there from Guatemala themselves. So they knew the things that were going on in Guatemala. So we're sitting there, and Brad had done his teaching, and I was just about to do mine, and I opened my Bible, and I was just about to speak, when all of a sudden, things began to shake. The table was moving, and the Bible was moving, and there was a rumbling and a shaking. And I looked around and I said, what's that? And they all shouted, earthquake! And they all got up and started running. So we started following them downstairs. And we're in the garden of the hotel. And there was a swimming pool in the garden. And the water was going like this. <laughs> and the hanging plants were going like this. And we're all standing there and I'm thinking, well, what the heck do we do now? We're just standing here. What if a building falls on us? Are we any better on the outside than we are on the inside? But apparently that's what you do when there's an earthquake. So we had this joke afterwards, yeah, you know, about the Lord's voice and the rumbling. And they said, John's word is so powerful <laughs> that the earth shakes when she opens her Bible to speak. <laughs> there are a couple of things within our organization that uh, are, have become, you know, really, um, I, I don't know, things that people talk about continually. And that's one of them is that here after Jan prayed and began to preach, the whole place shook. I, I want to tell you, though, having been there, when it happened, I was afraid. I mean, I had no idea that this rickety old building was going to stay up. And, uh, and you, you're sort of wondering what you do if you end up in a pile of rubble, you know. And, uh, and so my first reaction was not one of confidence. <laughs> my initial reaction was one of, let's get out of here. <laughs> <clears throat> well, that leads us uh, to uh, the text this morning in Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. Uh, picking up from where we were yesterday, uh, last Sunday. You, you may remember last Sunday that it, it ended with uh, uh, Peter and John and the lame man who was healed, being arrested. They stood before the entire Sanhedrin. They couldn't find anything to accuse them of, so they finally let them go. They threatened them, saying, you know, don't talk in the name of Jesus anymore. Don't do this anymore. And uh, they, this is what happens then after they were released. When they had been released, they went on, uh, to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, 
They lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to them uh, was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, there are a lot of things about this passage of Scripture that I really, really love. And uh, I'm sure that in the time allotted to me here, I'm not going to be able to share it all. But let's take a look at this message of confidence, okay? The storyline is this. In the midst of their persecution... In the midst of all this that's going on, where they're, where they're being threatened uh, for what they're doing, they come out of that with an incredible sense of confidence. They're not thrown to the left or the right. They're not getting all upset and wondering, what do we do now? Their response is one of amazing boldness. And that's something that I look at and, and I'm... And I, when I think about that event in Guatemala, my response to the shaking was, let's get out of here, I'm afraid. But when God did something like that in the New Testament here in Acts chapter 4, the result was that the people were so caught up in who God is and who God is to them, they were filled anew and afresh with the Holy Spirit and began to speak 
with boldness and confidence. That just seemed to be an interesting comparison to me, that one event, this event is very similar in both situations. One inspires fear and the other inspires confidence. And sometimes we don't understand when God is doing things that what he is doing is to inspire us with confidence rather than with uh, fear and upset. And that's the situation that we could all probably um, see and, and reflect about in our own minds. Now, I took a look at uh, uh, this prayer that they prayed. They get together and they start off by telling them, um, uh, let's see here, they, they, get, they get together, they start off by telling them all that had happened when they had been arrested and what had happened after their night in jail. And the result is when they heard this, the first response, when they heard we were threatened, we were told we weren't allowed to do this, they released us, the first response when they had gone through and shared what had happened was, let's pray. <laughs> the first response is that with one voice they lifted up. I don't know whether you've ever heard this before, but in places like in Korea, when they pray, they get the, the, the whole congregation together. We're talking about thousands now. And they'll get together, um, and when they pray... Everybody prays out loud at once. And if you've ever heard that, it's the most incredible sound. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like rushing water coming over a waterfall. You can't make out any of the sounds from all the words that are going on because everybody's praying out loud. And and so you're not geared in. It's a very, a very private place for you <laughs> because nobody's paying attention to anybody else. They're all praying. But the sound is like the sound of the voice of Jesus. In Revelation, it says that his voice is like the sound of many waters. And when you hear all these prayers happening at once, it's like there's a river of life flowing and the amazing thing is that God is able to hear each one of those prayers and respond to it. Amazing, isn't it? Something maybe one day we'll have a chance to experience. We could all do that together. But here's the, here's the result of what happens, is that they all lifted their voice. And the first thing that they do when they begin to pray in spite of all these threats, all these accusations, all this animosity that has come against them, the first thing that they do is they praise God. The very first thing of they respond to in their prayer is that they begin to praise God. It says here, Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth. And they start to praise God. The second thing that they do is that they grab a hold of God's word and say, Lord, this is what your word says is going to happen. It says here, this was one of the Psalms that he's quoting, but when he, when he quotes it, he turns around and he says, that is exactly what happened 
when, the, when we see that your word, the, the, that David, King David, prophesied that, that the peoples of the earth were going to rebel against you, look what happened right here. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the Jews, everybody that was here <laughs> raised up their voices against your holy servant Jesus. And yet, then he comes back and he says, not only um, did the Holy Spirit speak through David for all this to happen, but he says, now take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. He turned around and he says, our prayer request here is we want to remain confident Faithful to your word, faithful to the activity of your spirit. We don't want to back down in the midst of whatever is coming up against us. We are going to make sure that we stand confidently against the enemy and the enemies of your word and the enemies of your son Jesus. <laughs> that's incredible. That's, that's their request. The request and they said, now then, give us the ability that we can speak this word with confidence so that at the same time you can begin to heal those who hear it. In other words, they're not sitting there saying, destroy them, make them change their minds. They're saying, Lord, give us the confidence in the midst of this to stay true and then you use the words that we speak and you do your work. I, I think that's amazing. That their, their confidence is not just in the word, their confidence is in Jesus that he is going to accomplish something. That's the prayer. And God answers that prayer immediately with a sign that they recognized as his presence being in a building that cannot contain God. And what is the result when they are walking into the presence of God after this powerful prayer? It says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. It's not that the the filling of the Holy Spirit is a one-off thing. There is a continual filling of the Holy Spirit that we need to have in our lives. It's something that we yearn for. It's something that we need that's going to help build our own confidence in our life. Now, I took a look at the dictionary to find out what is, um, just press on here to, the, to find out what is confidence. Put the next one up there, uh, this was interesting. It said that confidence is full trust, belief in the powers, trustworthiness, or reliability of a person or thing, belief in oneself and one's powers or abilities, self-confidence, self-reliance, and assurance, or it's a secret that you share with others uh, that you consider to be trustworthy. That's it. Confidence. I'm going to tell you this in confidence. And then, you know, everybody's going to know about it. <laughs> now, that's, that's uh, a Webster's Dictionary understanding of the word confidence. And I got to thinking, 
That can't be right. That just can't be right. The, the, I can see how in our modern society, people are, are trying to encourage others to be self-reliant and self-assured and, and self-capable uh, of doing things and that we don't need to be reliant upon anybody else. It's, a, it's part of the, the dream that we, in our independence, can manage everything on our own. And yet that's not what Jesus says. There's no way that on your own, through your abilities, you're going to get to heaven. We understand that. But he also says that we need to be interdependent with one another and we need to see the relationships that God provides for us within our family our, and within our Christian family that they are vital and important. You don't do things on your own. You do things together. And in the process here, I took a look at that and I'm saying, if I keep promoting the self, then I am raising the self up to be a God in the place of God. And then I'm saying that my opinions are just as qualified as the opinions of God who created us, which is a stupid thing. Or to say that my morals are, are my business. Well, they are, but they still carry a consequence. My actions are, are my business. It's true, but they all carry their own consequence. The interesting thing here that we saw in their prayer is that they said, Lord, we need confidence. We're asking you for it. And then when we use the confidence that comes from you, you do your work because we can't do your work. So it becomes an interdependent relationship between. You see, Jesus was always very independent of what people thought. He, he wasn't going to follow what people thought. He was incredibly dependent upon his father. He never did anything that he didn't see his father doing. He never said anything that he didn't hear his father saying. And as a matter of fact, he went on to say, in the way that his father said it. His dependence upon his father in heaven was total. His independence from other people's opinions was total. And his choice was to be interdependent with his disciples. That means he is working together with them and he has never stopped doing that. His choice is to build relationship that allows our words to reflect his deeds. And that when we speak his words, his deeds happen. Not because we are anything, but because he does it. See, it's not because of our piety that he works. It's not because of, of our ability or our gifts that he works. He works together with us by choice. Now, that leads me to say I need a better definition of confidence. So let's take another look at confidence. If we look at the next slide, here it is. And from a biblical view, confidence is this. It's inspired by faith, faith that comes from God, and it's faith in God. My confidence is something that is a gift 
that God gives to me, something that I don't earn, it's not something that I work at, it is a gift on the inside that when God rescued my soul, he gave me confidence that I had an eternity with him. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for forgiveness, and what I got was much more. Something happens when we encounter God that He begins to pour something into our hearts and into our minds that is a confidence that we can have in Him. Nobody can rob me of my testimony. Nobody can rob you of your testimony. They're each individual, each unique in their own way, and each describes how God works amongst his people. And it's a beautiful thing when I see that my faith comes from God and my faith is in God. In other words, I can be confident when I am sure that God has spoken. When, when we got engaged, this was a crazy thing, but when we got engaged, we realized that God had spoken to both of us independently that we would have a daughter. And um, we were living in Scotland at the time, and we can remember the day that Naomi was conceived and the beauty of this is that from the very beginning, we talked to her in the womb. We called her by name, we prayed for her, placed our hands on her, watched her grow. And I remember a pastor coming up to me and saying, what happens if it's not a girl? I mean, here you are talking so much about this girl. How can you... How can you say that for sure? You know, I mean, you, you can't be certain about these things. What are you going to do if it's not a girl? I said, well, then God's going to be mighty upset. <laughs> because, because he's the one that should know these things. I and mean, if he told us if that was what it was going to be, he told us both the day and the hour that she was going to be born. Can you believe that? Only happened on that one occasion, but he did. <laughs> And I remember we were in the hospital in Paisley, uh, Scotland, and uh, the doc I asked the doctors, it was coming up 12 o'clock, and I knew she was going to be born just around 1.30. So I'm, I'm sitting there going, where can I go and get some lunch? They said, well, they have a cafeteria here, but it doesn't open for, uh, for visitors until 1 o'clock. They're feeding all of the, the people here. So um, you can't go in until, until one, 1 o'clock. I said, well, that's too late because the baby's going to be born at, at 1.30. And they said, no, 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 she's a long ways off. It's not going to happen right away. I said, no, it's going to be at 1.30, so I better go find something now. So I had to go outside the hospital and grab something to eat. And I came back, and sure enough, <laughs> at 1.30, Naomi was there. And it was just it was the most incredible thing. I mean, we're sitting there. I, I, I mean, just... When you have confidence because God has spoken to you, your whole existence evolves around what has God said. And my faith is no longer based in the things that the world has to offer, but in who God is, his character, and in his words. Both the written word as well as his spoken word. I... I I find confidence is a reliance upon the trustworthiness of God. 
confidence says, like they experienced it here, is that they are with one accord, one heart and soul. There is a trustworthiness about this. If we continue to speak about who Jesus is, that he's raised from the dead, he will continue to save people. If we continue to do this, people's lives will be transformed. If we continue to do this, God will continue to keep his word and work his signs and wonders as a result. What an incredible boldness that is and confidence to have in light of the very fact that they were being threatened at the time. And instead of cowering, and trying to hide, these people are standing strong in their prayer life, and God is imparting to them a boldness in their hearts and in their minds, knowing that it could lead to their death. Amazing, isn't it? And so he gives us victory over fear. So biblical confidence is victory over fear in our lives. The second thing here is it builds the unity of the body of Christ. When this happened, it wasn't just Peter and John and the lame man who were filled with the Spirit, but it was the entire congregation that was present. All of them together began to experience God. And in their weakness, they find strength. In this small little band of people that's the beginning of a church, they're finding strength in their weakness. Confidence does that. Confidence that God is on the move, that God is doing something. Let's look at the next one. It builds not only unity in the body, it provides an abundance of grace. You know, the, the first response that I and probably a lot of other people would have is, those evil men up there, they, they, I mean, they're, they're really evil, you know. <laughs> but what happens is that they want those evil men up there to get saved too. And so there's an abundance of grace, which means it affects my thinking and my heart attitude towards others, even my enemies. I, I, the power of the Holy Spirit within me is a, a, such an important aspect of living because, humanly speaking, that's not the way we would react. Our response is to fight back. But their response to fight back is to fight in the spirit, which is a different kind of battle. They're saying their thinking is marred, their vision is blocked, they can't see that Jesus is the very Messiah that they've been preaching and wanting to reach. The Gentiles don't see one God, they see multiple gods. So they, they don't understand that God has come to save them. There's just a whole series of blind effects 
that are hindering people from coming to Jesus. And they're saying, God, tear down the barriers and let them see the great love with which you love them. That's a different way of doing war. I mean, this is not war that's fought with weapons of, of human making. These, these are darts that penetrate the heart with truth, with forgiveness, with restoration, with healing. The last thing that I looked at in terms of confidence here is there's an incredible love for one another. The, the, the impact, it's interesting that Barnabas gets his new name. His name is Joseph, comes from Cyprus. We're going to find out more about him later on in the book. He has significant impact on the growth of the church throughout the world. And this man, who is a Cypriot by birth, in other words, he, he's a Jew, but he comes from a different part of the world, different culture, different language. He had uh, land that he sold. He's just one of many that we don't know the names of, but this one was impactful because what he did with his money was encourage others who were poor. It's not that he just showered them and said, I'm going to make you rich. He was wise in how his investment went out to encourage the poor to get out of poverty and live a different lifestyle. He encouraged people. His way of encouragement starts to change the foundation upon which. See, money, just throwing money at problems is not an answer. That's not the way that the kingdom of God grows. But if what we're doing is investing in helping people strengthen their own lives and work with their own hands and, and become confident in what they're doing, then we help a whole generation of people that come after them because they're going to train others as well. And when somebody comes along and says, I'm going to take what I have to encourage others and strengthen them. I had a friend who... who uh, inherited quite a bit and uh, he sat down and he said I've got to figure out a way to take this inheritance and invest it in such a way that I can give all of these millions away within the next 20 years I, I want to give this amount of money away in such a way that it doesn't change the capital why? Because he wants to continue to give. I'm sitting there going, what an incredible thought pattern to sit down and say, how can I assist others? So what he did when he came to me is he said, I want to help your missionaries become equipped to raise support. Not just support from individuals, but support from countries, from nations, from the European Union. They can get it from other foundations. I want them to learn how do they promote the work that they're doing in such a way that it's going to generate money for the kingdom of God. Can you imagine somebody coming along and saying, 
I've got this money. I'm going to give you for the next two years a salary to pay somebody who will teach your people that, so that this is going to happen. The end result is that far much more money has been generated than what he invested. Not for him, but for the mission. And I sit there and I think, what an encouragement that is. That's not just an encouragement to the missionaries, but it's an encouragement to the mission that the missionaries are doing. And it's going to people who have no idea about the effect that this one man had on so many places around the world through his desire to place a large donation that God had entrusted to him. You see, people who have things have an ability to be a source of encouragement. Now, you and I, we all know that we all need encouragement. But isn't this something, and and Barnabas was that kind of a person. He was labeled, got the name, son of encouragement. Let's look at what this means. We've been through that. We'll go through the next one. Yeah. How should we respond? When I take a look at this event, they come together. They tell them what happened when they were in jail and gone to trial. And they come out and they said, God set us free. And people start to rejoice and they're praising God. They praise God. They, they are confirming his word. They, they ask God for confidence. God responds and there's a renewal within them. There's an excitement that we can do this in spite of threats. We can do this in spite of opposition. This is interesting. What do we need to do to grow in our faith and in our confidence? The question is, what do we learn out of this particular passage of Scripture? And one of the things that I see here is that we can pray in a similar vein. Why not take prayers like this that are listed in Scripture that were powerful, we know they were powerful, and pray those prayers? Why not, when you go home today, go through that prayer and pray it yourself. To say, Lord, I, I want to pray this prayer. And take it, put it in your own words, but pray through it the way that they prayed it. Start to learn from the prayers that are present in the Scripture by praying the prayers in the Scripture. And then you can say, Lord, I need to learn how to do that with the rest of my prayers. I want my prayers to be effective, so I want to follow this outline of praying. Teach me how to use your word while I pray. Teach me how to praise you. Teach me how to apply that. Teach me what to ask for. Let me me be more open to listening to your voice that when I ask that I hear what your response is and how you respond. This was phenomenon. This doesn't happen every time you pray. That's why it's a joke when we talk about Jan being so powerful that the place shakes when she prays because that doesn't happen very often. 
It happened here, but it's never repeated, so it becomes phenomena. But God answers prayer, and he answers it in many different ways. We need to be open to his response when we do pray that way. The next thing is, let's ask God to be filled with his spirit Again and again and again. Let's not sit there and say, oh, it was, it was just something that happened when I got saved. Or it was something that happened at one particular event. Let's continually seek God to say, we need to have this reliance and dependence upon you. Lord, help us not to be so caught up in ourselves, but we need the power of your Spirit working in and through us in order for us to have the kind of confidence in you that's necessary. When we begin to witness for Jesus, I know there's a lot of plans and programs out there, but we need to let our lives speak and just, Sometimes it is, you know, Jesus loves you. Maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's the question, have you ever asked Jesus into your life? I, I mean, just simple little question. Sitting there at the restaurant and the waitress comes up and said, I, I want to ask you a question. Did you ever ask Jesus into your life? <laughs> Would you like to? <laughs> I mean, sometimes it doesn't take a lot of words. It's not something where we have to explain a lot of things. When God prepares a life, we have no idea what God has done in that life up to the moment where you meet them. And maybe you're just one of the witnesses in a whole stream of witnesses in their life. You might be the last one that's able to pray with them to receive Christ. But it never, or very rarely ever happens that the first one to come who tells them the story first off also is the same one who leads them to Christ. Notice that all of those here in Jerusalem had been through the Old Testament. They knew the stories. And so when they were bringing up the stories out of the Old Testament and showing that Jesus was the Christ, they could respond. So there's a growth in people's lives. And if I understand that, I just don't know where they are in that process. But I can be a stepping stone in that process to Jesus. And the last one is, we need to do acts of kindness. Not just one and pat ourselves on the back. One of the things that we're looking forward to in May is that uh, the uh, Baptists of North Carolina have a medical bus where they do screenings for people. And we're going to park it out here just right front here on a Saturday, all day Saturday. And we've already got several uh, nurses who have said they'll come and help and we're going to plan to organize. We'll write to all the people that came to our um, giveaway and tell them that it's there and it's free and, and people can come and be tested for all kinds of stuff and, and, and let them come. What a, what a wonderful gift we have a chance to give to our community. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? And, and so... We can get involved in that. Um, other acts of kindness. Why don't we have a teacher appreciation for the school across the way and, and provide a dinner for the, all of the teachers and just tell them how much we appreciate their hard work and what they're doing. Or, or maybe, maybe we could invite uh, firemen and policemen to come to a special service where we honor them. 
Or, or maybe we could, we could uh, um, I don't know. I, there's just a lot of different things that we could do. That think it, maybe God's going to inspire you with something. You say, well, let's touch our community. Let's touch our community with God's love and, and find ways to share the love. And then, Lord Jesus, we want you to work signs and wonders in our weakness, in what we're doing, which is a little bit, do a big thing. You do the big thing, because this is what we can do. And in our weakness, show your strength. In, in, our, in our inability, show your ability. In, in our poorness, show your wealth and your health. Let's, let's see how God can take just a small group to bring about some great big acts of love that touch people's lives. Let's become known as, as, as a church that's moving forward in one accord. We seek God. We've got confidence because he's, he's with us. We're seeing his presence with us. Let's move forward into this year and do not a lot. Let's do a few things that we're able to do, that we're capable of doing. And let's see God build our confidence. Let's see God build our ability to touch people. Let's, let's pray that God would allow us to lead a person to Christ. Maybe you've never done that. and This could be the year that you do that. For the first time and let God begin to move through each one of us. Let's grow in our confidence in God. Amen.